Welcome to the sixth episode of Making a Racket. I am Nathan Lee here with Sean Doherty. Today we're going to talk about the Madrid Open and the recently finished Italian Open as we go on to the French Open in just two weeks. We watched defending French Open champions Rafa Nadal and Igor Sviatek win in Rome. But first, we're going to talk about what happened in Madrid because I think that was an interesting tournament. We saw Nadal lose to Zverev. We saw Djokovic not play in it, so that could have been really an opportunity. And we saw Zverev. We saw Zverev actually beat Rafa Nadal in the quarters. We saw him beat Dominic Team in the semis. We saw him beat Matteo Berrettini in the final, and look like a guy that really could be one of the next great players. Of course, we've also seen him having consistencies really. All, all all, of his career. So I want to ask you, Sean, what do you think of Alexander Zverev as we go into, as we go into the French Open? He's probably going to lose fourth round. <laughs> that, that tends to be what he does. You know? <laughs> Something about his game is just inconsistent. His game is built around consistency, which is the funny thing. But... He just has these inconsistencies where he'll he'll go out and have an incredible tournament run. He beat even in his first round, he played Nishikori, which is not a easy match by any means. Even if Nishikori is a little past his prime. Beat him, then beat Dan Evans, which we know he's kind of tricky to handle sometimes. And then went on to defeat Nadal and then Dominic Team and then have a tough match against Berrettini. And I just don't think he'll carry any momentum into the French. I think he will do okay and just be okay. Well, I I think really for him, the French Open is, except for that U.S. Open final, the French Open has typically been his best major. Where We've seen him make the semis. We've seen him make the quarters a couple times. We've seen him break through at the French in ways that he has not been able to at the other major tournaments. I mean, yeah, that U.S. Open final was great, and he obviously had a major chance that he just wasn't able to capitalize on. But even in that, yeah, we saw him. We saw we saw the second serve. He gets tight on the second serve, and yeah, I think that goes into your consistency thing. If he doesn't have the second serve going, he he's inconsistent with the second serve, and yet it's so vital to his game. So I think that's an issue for him. What another thing off the court, Zverev and the accusations of domestic violence by his ex girlfriend, and how, and I don't know how I feel about the fact that for the most part, it seems to have been swept under the rug. It just seems like nobody really knows what's going on. Like, I get if it was maybe, I mean, maybe it was a, I, I just don't really get what's going on. I can't tell if this is. Something that didn't have any evidence, so maybe it's just not even something the ATP looked at, or if nobody really wants to cover it because nobody really cares, and the people that do just don't have the power to do so. I thought Ben Rothenberg, the tennis journalist, would have a little more 
of a push. He's actually a freelancer with, for the New York Times, but he ended up publishing that interview with, it was Olga Sharapova in Racket Magazine. And that, that's great and all, but it's like, come on, you didn't, you didn't make a, you didn't make a push. And I don't, I don't really understand that entire situation, you know, and I'm looking now and I'm trying to find really what's going on. I'm looking up Zverev on Google. I'm trying to find the stories and his ex-girlfriend says she's not planning to file a legal complaint. Um, Zverev has strongly denied these allegations. All these allegations came out in November. Yeah. I mean, they're just not even on the front page of anything. I'm on the third page of Google News and there's nothing regarding it. There, um, the, the start of the Racket Magazine story, all your sh- uh, shows, Ben Rothenberg, the journalist, a screenshot of a WhatsApp conversation where the first two photos that all you sent was dark bruises on her face, second was dark bruises on her arm. She said it was emotional violence too. I remember there was one incident at the U.S. Open that she alleged. It was really bad. And the ATP said that they can't, they wouldn't be able to take any action against any player unless there is a legal case against the said player. That's interesting because we've seen in the NFL and the NBA and other sports leagues where they they will take action. You know, the Ray Rice, there wasn't any legal action there, but the NFL still Suspended him two games, although really should have been more. And then they tried to suspend him the whole year afterward, and that really didn't work out. Arbitrator pretty much said, uh, you can't, you can't, you know, suspend him two different lengths. So, but yeah, we've, we've seen that happen in other leagues. And we know with Deshaun Watson, I, I can almost guarantee you he's not going to play week one, whether the NFL puts him on the commissioner's <laughs> exempt list, whether outright suspends him, it doesn't matter. He's not playing. Uh, Watson being accused of sexual misconduct ranging from sexual harassment to sexual assault, 22 civil lawsuits. That, that's not just going to go away. The NFL is not pretty much just not going to let him play. And that is not, no, that's not confirmed, but I would be extremely surprised if, if, <laughs> if anything else happened. Because it, it would just, it would, it would take out all the precedent that they've already set, even though some of that precedent's weak. It at least has been something. So It's there. Yeah, it's another issue for another day. But yeah, I, I don't know. To a point, sometimes it bothers me. Zverev, I think, has actually played better. And to a point, that irks me a little bit because I kind of wonder what's going through his head. I, I think if he wasn't doing as well, it would maybe be a better sign. But he's playing about as well as he ever has. I think this is actually some of the best tennis he's played. In Rome, he lost to Nadal. It's not really a whole lot to scoff at there. It's not exactly a choke. Right. And he beat him once. So, I don't know. I mean, we'll have to see how that situation unfolds, except I don't think that situation apparently exists anymore. And everyone's just going to move on. (laughs) Another story, though, from Madrid. Arena Sabalenka beating Ashley Barty in the women's final. Barty, uh, 2019 champion, didn't play in 2020. World number one, most consistent player on the women's tour. But Sabalenka, big hitter, now number four in the world after making that run in Madrid. 
She's behind Barty, Osaka, and Halep, and those are really the top three, top three in the world, at least in general. Although two of those have some asterisks by them that we'll get into. How? What do you think is, we'll talk about Barty in a little bit. Sean, what do you think about Arinya Sabalenka and what she can really do in this tournament? And where do you place her on the list of favorites for the French Open? Well, Sabalenka is a heavy hitter. And we've seen heavy hitter was win. It's <laughs> it's happened before. So I I would place her like top between like eight and four in terms of favorites. Because if she plays really well, with any player, if you play really well, you're up there. But with her game and her style, if she's hitting the ball consistently with the same level of power like she was in Madrid, then she can beat players like Barty, who is really good on clay and has shown that she's really good on clay. And if she can beat a player like Barty, she can probably make a run and win the French Open. But that requires her to play consistently on clay. That's just, that's difficult. It it is. And I think People like Ashley Barty, although Sabalenka is one of the people that can beat Barty due to the power and everything else, because you're not going to, you're really not going to be more consistent. You're not going to out finesse Barty in any way. And it's difficult to out hit her, but at least it can be done. Got to be careful about underestimating Sabalenka, though. She is number two in the race to Shinzen. She's ahead of Osaka, who has really underperformed during the clay court season. She's ahead of Muguruza, who was doing really good early on, and only behind Ash Barty, who's won yep. Miami, got to the final in Madrid. So I, I, I actually would say Sabalenka is one of the top four or five people that can win this tournament. But yeah, I agree. It's really about the consistency. It's all about, can she keep it up through two weeks? That we just really don't know. And we don't know that about a lot of these, about a lot of the women. Sabalenka is only 23 years old. She's got a lot of career left. What I will say, she looks a lot better on the clay. She looks a lot more comfortable than, you know, Naomi Osaka. Yeah, didn't we, uh, didn't we do an episode where we were like, man, I bet Osaka, this is, this is the year she can really uh, pull through on clay. She can Yeah, that's how we started this spot. That, that's pretty much how we started this podcast. It was after she won the Aussie, right? Yeah. And we were like, okay, maybe she can at least do all right. And no. she lost in the second round in both Madrid and Rome. Her and Medvedev. One and two. Two peas in a pods. <laughs> in a pod. Before we transition fully to maybe talking about Rome and what happened there, let's talk about Roger Federer. Finally, coming back, took a wild card into Geneva, and we're going to watch him play just a few days to try to warm up for the French Open. He'll play, he'll play Pablo Andujar. It, it's, it's, it's an all right draw. He's got Chapo that he could play in the final if he were to make it all the way there, but he would probably play somebody like Casper Ruud first or something like that, but. It's interesting, though, to see Federer skip Madrid and Rome and play in Geneva in his home country. What do you think? And we'll just have to see how he plays. What do you think that says, though, about maybe how 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 much maybe about his physical condition? Oh, gosh. 
Fed's almost 40 years old. And he's come back to clay, which is interesting. He just had a knee surgery that took a lot more time to recover. And then I think a second operation on it that set him back even a little more. And he's still going to play the clay season, which kind of scares me because that signifies to me that he might be coming closer and closer to the end of his career, that he wants to just have a few more runs uh, at Roland Garros. But <laughs> I don't even know because we haven't even seen him play since Dubai. And he looked okay there. I actually got to watch him play. He just kind of looked uh, rusty. He didn't just, look like one of the. He looked okay. <laughs> he, did, he, did he look like he does when he when he's playing bad, or did it did it look well, better? Well, he than wasn't that, like least. angry at himself like he usually is nowadays. He was more just, oh, I shanked the ball. I guess I haven't played in like a year. So, is this how other people feel when they play tennis? I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what he's saying? I guess that's what he thought. He he felt like a mortal. I think he'll do fine. I honestly think he'll win this tournament. Really? Because, yeah, yeah, I do. Because, well, in 2019, he actually played well on clay. Um, that's fair. And I think it helps his body a lot. It's definitely not as hurtful towards him. If stamina is the problem, that could that could be bad for him. But that was the whole reason of him taking off time was to work on his stamina and training. So I feel like if his endurance is there, he'll be fine. The number two and number three seeds, as I kind of mentioned, are Dennis Shapovalov and Casper Ruud. And Federer is in the same half as Casper Ruud. He is in the same quarter as Marin Cilic, the former major champion, although I'm not entirely sure how tough that should be. <laughs> But but I do like what Casper Root can do, so I think that could be problematic. That's why I don't think he'll win. I, I would lean more towards, you know, Root or Shapovalov taking that over. I just, something about, I know Federer seems to have trouble with young guys, but to me, Root and Shapovalov, they just don't seem like the kind of guys that really have the mental fortitude to beat him in a tournament like this. It's not on a big stage. It's kind of a smaller one. They don't get the same type of energy they get from an upset victory where like Shapovalov had against Nadal back in 2017 or 2018, whenever it was. In- his breakout, his breakout yeah. tournament, right? Uh, I mean, experience I going. is greater than youth. I, I get where you're going. I just don't, I mean, I don't know how, how ready Federer will be. I think this will work. And this will help him kind of work the kinks out a little bit too. I don't, I don't think that's even his main focus. Although I definitely, I mean, I think it's a focus. Don't get me wrong. He didn't get to 20 major titles by not being competitive, <laughs> but I, I think he understands what, what the goal is. The goal is to try to play at the French, try to even play at Wimbledon. And, and maybe in some ways, most importantly for him, go to another Olympics. Mm-hmm. If you can try to really train for that in Tokyo, assuming that assuming that does hold and that all stays together. I mean, I, I say I hope it happens. Really, what I hope is that the best thing for Japan and what they want happens. Because I think we have to realize they are not vaccinated at the level we are. We are arguably not. We're not all the way there, but we're definitely in a much better place and we're in actually I would say a good place 
they're not. They don't have over 50% of their population with at least one dose. Not even close. In Tokyo, we've seen uh, anti-Olympics protesters take to the streets as they have still have more cases in of coronavirus. They're out. They're starting to actually have an outbreak. So it may not really be. I think we have to remember it may not be about us. It may be about them. What they're worried about other countries doing. So we'll see how see how that goes for the Olympics. But but back to Federer. I think he can do all right. And I also like how we just look over Leon. We don't care because Dominic Team is the top seed, but we don't care about him, right? We just No, no, it doesn't one matter. The, one of the few dudes to actually win a major title in this big big four era. And we just we just we just don't care. He's just kind right? of He's kind of been meh. He made the semis in Madrid. So, I mean, he's he, he did, but which that's was... That's just kind of meh. Good for it's him. just kind of a meh clay court season so far for him. That's true. Really been a meh year so far, I would say. Yeah. I don't think he's broken through like he's really wanted to, but... Which is fine. It happens. I think he can figure it out. But but I agree. I think I think he'll want to figure it out. He'll have all those U.S. Open points to defend. So I'm pretty <laughs> sure he wants to figure it out quickly. I think it was good to see him make the semis in Madrid, though. But took the wild card into Lyon to get some more matches. What is an interesting advantage is for for some of these guys taking these wild cards. Serena Williams taking a wild card into Parma, and I I swear she doesn't play small tournaments. She's 39 no. years old. She doesn't play small tournaments, but didn't. Played Rome after not playing since the Aussie Open, lost like lost right off the bat there. So she took the wild card into the WTA event in Parma. So we're seeing a lot of top guys actually play in some of these smaller events with two weeks before the French Open instead of just, you know, Madrid, Rome, one week, French Open, everybody go, everybody go full steam ahead because the French Open pushed it a week forward. Would also like to remind before we go to our break. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And our next episode will not be on Tuesday. It will be on Saturday, May 29th. We'll preview the French Open. We'll look at, we'll look at the draws. And this tournament starts Sunday, May 30th. So we want to get everything in before then. And we'll try to keep you updated. Maybe do some, do some interesting updates as the French Open goes on. When we come back, we'll talk about We'll talk about Rafa Nadal. We'll talk about Novak Djokovic, Ash Barty, Iga Sviatek, and the interesting things that we can take from Rome. Welcome to the second half of episode six of Making a Racket. Man, we're so far back. We finished. We just finished our tenth episode of Flags and Fouls yesterday, and now here we are, like episode six of Making a Racket. I feel like we're so mm-hmm. far behind. We're slacking, <laughs> and we always do. It's all right. We're like the chill podcast, and then Jose kind of takes flight. Jose and Omero, frankly, Omero does it in a different way, but Jose takes us on some interesting directions in Flags and Fouls. We go off. So what, I'm, so what I'm thinking for the this next discussion that's is I think I'm gonna try to give as bad a take as I can on whatever we're talking about. So 
Perfect. Once I introduce it, at least. So we got Rafa Nadal, and there were there started to be some questions about um, was he physically ready? Was he going to be all the way there? We understand in Australia he had the back problem, didn't play in Miami, so came into Monte Carlo and lost in the quarters to Rublev and won the second set, but then the third set didn't really look right. And then he did win Barcelona against Sissipas in the final, saved a match point, but had like multiple three-set matches. And then in Madrid, he lost to Zverev in the quarters, kind of got pummeled. And it's like, what? What's going on? And Romy's down match point to Denis Shapovalov in the third round. And it's like, oh, well, okay. And he actually comes back and for the most part, really dominated the tournament after that. Did lose the second set to Djokovic in the final 6-1, but end up winning that in three sets. And Nadal said, no, I I am the king of clay. I am going to win the French and you're just all going to bow down and like it. And you're all going to compete for second. To me, though, I just want to ask you, Sean, what do you think? I mean, I don't know. I want to ask a question, but isn't it kind of obvious? Like He's going to win the French Open. He's going to win the French, right? I mean, there's really no way. Um, No, yeah. Just go back to 2019. We we can skip 2020. It's 2019. He has a mediocre pre-Roland Garros clay court season. Loses to... Uh, loses in Monte Carlo, loses in Madrid, and then beats Djokovic in Rome, and then goes on to win the Roland Garros without much trouble. It's 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 a cycle. It's just it's like the rain cycle. It just happens. Just like the rain cycle. Unless his knee's broken, he's winning it. Yeah, that's about right. Or or if he can't get enough injections in his wrist, <laughs> and his back's healthy happened. enough. The last time he didn't win it, that's what happened. He realized he couldn't. He was told, yeah, we can't inject your wrist that many times. So he said, okay, I'll just withdraw. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it really is that. That's why Nadal's a goat. Everybody bow down. Nadal's going to be 21. Nadal, well, he's too the goat easy, of clay. bro. Nadal the baby goat, that motherfucking goat. He's the goat of clay. He's the goat. No, he's just a goat. He's going to get 21. He's going to leave. Joker's up here. Jokovic can suck right here. Nope, nope, nope. You switched him hands, boy. Switched him hands, moved him hands, moved him hands. Novak is down here. Okay, I I like that. I like that. Jokovic's a bitch. Jokovic's a whole ass bitch. (laughs) Uh, I can't do Jose the same. We're going to have to invite Jose on the podcast. I know. He don't know anything about tennis, but I can teach him some stuff real quick and he can sound like he does. bring LeBron into it somehow. (laughs) He will bring LeBron into it somehow. America could just be chilling and just be like, how the f*** did we get here already? <laughs> but I mean, we're joking about it. That's how, that's how, that's, that's, that's just how normal it is for him to win the tournament. That That is true. And I, I think it's, I mean, if he went, when he wins, he will have 14 French Open titles. And before the big three, the, the, Leader in Grand Slams was Pete Sampras. And he won, in total, 14 majors. Just to put in perspective how dominant Nadal has been on the clay, that he is basically, I mean, you would, you'd think if half the tournaments were on clay, 
I mean, he would be he would be the greatest of all time if we yeah we we, we kind of see and that is and I, I was kind of joking about Nadal being the goat, but at the same time, there is an argument to be made that you know Djokovic is the best hardcore player of all time. I would say, although Federer is honestly right behind him. Uh, Fed's the best grass court player, although Djokovic definitely made his way. Nadal even kind of had his two years. Nadal's even done well in the hard courts, but when Nadal's done on the clay, nobody has really seen just a level of domination that I don't think we'll see again. It is unrivaled. I mean, if Nadal didn't exist, we would be seeing Djokovic and Federer splitting these titles with other people mixed in here and there, especially right. Novak. It had been Federer up until like. 2012-ish winning most of the titles and then right. Novak taking it from there. Right, and I think we look at and, and I, I try not to get too much into the what-ifs but you do think of that period from 05 to 07 really even 04 where Federer was the undisputed number one player in the world and the only dude in, in 04 he did lose to Querton in the third round 05, he lost in the semis to Nadal. 06, he lost in the final to Nadal. 07, he lost in the final to Nadal, the French. And that was the one thing he could not get over. Um, from 05 to 07, I think he would have won all those French Opens. I just don't think there was, there really wasn't anyone else. He was easily the second best clay court player. I mean, he had all the tools. It's not like this isn't a Medvedev situation. This isn't an Osaka situation. This isn't even. I mean, this isn't even someone who's just like an Andy Roddick. I mean, this isn't somebody who's that much worse on the clay. I mean, this is somebody who's that good. It's just the way Nadal plays. Just it it gives it it's right into Federer's weakness. It's like, oh, you know, the the forehand of the backhand thing that we all know that we all just kind of watch to see how long Federer can hold it off. I'd say 05 to 07, and then I think Djokovic, yeah, you get into about two or three majors, although the one time he beat Nadal, we did see him lose to Orenka in the final, so we got to be careful. But yeah, yeah, I think you get two or three French Opens in there. I mean, I think it could be like Serena, who has three French Open titles, and, you know, a lot of the others. Obviously, 22, uh, or 23-time major champion. I think it'd be a lot like that. Yeah. Or, or at least, you know, Dominic Team would probably have a couple of French Opens, I would say. He would. I mean, he's the second best player in those tournaments that he lost to right. Nadal in. Well, he beat Joe Vision one of them, beat Joe Vision in the exactly. semis. Beat Joe Vision in the quarters of another one. And so, yeah, I mean, you think, and, 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 I, and I still remember in 19 when Team won that second set on Nadal and had a close first set. I was like, man, this could be a good match. And Rafa said, nope. It's, it's just it's like man yep. that's just not fair oh man you know, I, I, I thought I, you really had another gear bastard no. so it's just complete and utter dominance 100 wins 2 losses at the French Open let's go to Novak Djokovic who I think is probably still the number 2 guy to win the French it's a, it's a long shot number 2 but number 2 nonetheless and, and you know, what's funny, though, is I think with Nadal being number three, they actually could play in the semis. Oh, gosh. 
Medvedev is going to waste the number two spot. Are you kidding Medvedev me? Medvedev is going to waste the number two spot so bad. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Djokovic, he didn't play in Madrid, um, but did play in Rome and made the final there. And I got to give credit to him, though. What he did, there was a rain delay in Rome on Friday. Djokovic had just lost the first set to Tsitsipas 6-4. It was early in the second set. And Djokovic came back to win that set 7-5, won the third set 7-5, played Lorenzo Sinego in the semifinals later that day. They had to play on Saturday, right? So he has to rest, come back, play Sinego, and is beating him. Has match points in the second set, but Sinego really started to play out of his mind. And Sanego actually won the second set in a tie break. Djokovic had to come back and win that third set to just get to the final. Meanwhile, Nadal had already finished his quarterfinal on, on Friday, beat Opelka, beat Riley Opelka on Saturday, and then got to play the final on Sunday. To me, Djokovic, that really showed that, okay, I think his mind is in the right spot because we've been wondering about that. What do you think, though? To, to play five hours on one day and actually challenge the King of Clay. I mean, I, I would say that's, that's admirable. That, it's, it's difficult. I mean, especially in a tournament. If that was, you could look at it on the perspective of, if that was in a major, it's five hours, just like a five-cent match, you know. But normally a two-day break. Exactly. This was a not even a day in between it's back to back and to play two matches three matches in two days at a professional level on clay which is probably the most taxing stamina wise of the three surfaces against it all and beating him in the second set six one is it's it's it means you're focused it definitely doesn't mean you're off and that was not exactly any, and he did have a few hiccups in the first. That's how he lost that first at 7 5. But in general, though, that was one of the better matches, really, from both of them. That was one of the best matches I think they've played. And that's saying a lot when you play 57 times. That it was extremely good tennis from both of them. Jokers never really let up. It really was just in the end, the doll was too much. Neither of them really played bad. They both made mistakes, but. Nothing really, I mean, it wasn't, it was, it was just such a good match and it wasn't like a long match because they were just serving really big and it was, you know, bang, 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 but it went three sets. No, this was a hard, grueling match. This was not, not quite on this level, but it was like, you know, Joe Nadal 2012 Aussie Open. We're talking that type of grueling. We're talking on the clay. I mean, yeah, to me, that was admirable from both of them. Nadal really to still push through. I mean, you got to think though, Nadal, to lose that second set 6-1, his mind and it always has been, he doesn't give up. Nothing really demoralizes him. It's just, it's mind-blowing. Not just him, but any professional player who has longevity like these guys have, just being able to have the motivation to keep playing the same sport Every single day. It's just, if I was that good at tennis, I just don't know if I would have the mental fortitude to just every single day. I know I wouldn't. Yeah, it's just. I know I'd give up. 
it get to a point. The, the training and the traveling, it's like, oh my the god. Repetition. Right. For someone like Nadal that's had a lot of injuries too. I mean, he's had setback after setback. Yeah. I mean, and we thought he'd be done by the time he was twenty five. Just because he plays so hard and keeps having the injuries, but he just pushes through. He tapes up all his fingers. His fingers always have blisters on him. Everything has a blister and he just tapes it up and moves on. Yeah. It's kind of sick. But he he makes it work. And that's and what still he does. has time for his personal life. He got married. Mm-hmm. Who knows if he'll have kids, but that's his own decision. And yeah, and he has an academy in Mallorca that uh, likes to fish. You got you to gotta realize Mallorca is a really, it's a really nice island. Yeah. <laughs> it's an extremely nice, nice island right off, I mean, it is Spain, but really right off the coast of Spain. But now kudos to both of them. That was a great final to watch. What well, wasn't a great final to watch, at least with regards to how, you know, well, one player was spectacular. The other one, not <laughs> so much. Iga Sviatek beat Carolina Pliskova. Six love, six love in the women's final. 46 minutes. Sviatek, I, I think she made five unforced errors. Pliskova, Sviatek was down break point a couple times early. Pliskova never had a game point until the final game. And obviously did not capitalize. But yep. And Sviatek is now up to a career high of world number nine. And we've talked about her before. Just because of watching her after the French Open. She's 19-year-old. It's like, okay, what can she do? Can she build off of this? And she hasn't done too bad. In Madrid, she did lose third round, but she lost to Ash Barty. It's not exactly something I can scoff at too much. In Rome, she actually got all the way. She saved a match point in the third round. And here she is now, number nine in the world. She'll have a really good seed for the French. Sean, you know, we talked about Sabalenka. Where do you think Shibiatek is maybe on the favorites list for the French? Two. I think she's right behind Barty. So you're jumping on the bandwagon because yep. I, I am too, but it, it seems like, I'm like, am I really, am I thinking of this right? Like, and everyone else is like, she's no. She's proved herself on clay. It, it's, she, yeah, I mean, she's just, she has proved herself on clay and it'll take a lot of focus to defend her title at the French, but I really think she can do it. Amen to that. I think, um, and, you know, we got to realize she's defending French Open champion, lost just 28 games on the road there. She's definitely got a chance to win it again, and she'll want to. She'll want to keep all those points, but yeah, definitely wants to get another French Open title. If she could have two by the age of 20, that would be, that'd just be absurd <laughs> if she actually she pulls it off. But I do think there is, I do agree, there's one person ahead of her, and that is Ashley Barty. And it, she's number one in the world. She's been the most consistent. We didn't. We really didn't see her play in 2020 because no. of COVID and then the restrictions from Australia. She just never really, she never left. She couldn't uh, think closer to the French Open. She really wasn't ever even able to meet her coach. So she just said, okay, fine. I'm not going to defend the French. I'm not going to defend the, I'm not going to go the Open. She kind of took advantage of the rankings, you know, taking the two best results, took advantage of that, stayed at number one in the world, and, but has proven herself. She won Miami. She got to the final Madrid. She got to the quarters in Rome. And we talked about Djokovic and Tsitsipas, the rain delay, right? Well, Barty and Coco Goff, they were still playing. And I'm really not sure why. 
think somebody, I think the tournament director or something screwed up because they were still going to keep playing in the rain. And I guess Marty, her right elbow felt weird. It looked like she pointed to her elbow. And uh, you think probably with the balls getting heavier, looking ahead to the French, she probably just pulled the plug knowing what the bigger prize was. I don't yeah. really think that's an issue. I don't think that's like Simona Halep, which shout out to her. Hope she is okay. She had a really bad, she tore her calf and really doesn't look like yeah. she can play the French Open. And that is She's really a sad. Small tear. Because she could have been probably the second favorite. Maybe yeah. Marty Halep, Sviatek, whatever order you want there. That's a really sad deal. We'll, we'll, on the next episode, we'll see if she is able to play or not. But Barty, you like, you like Barty, Sean. You like her a lot. Tell me, tell me why you think Barty is going to win the French Open. I think she's going to win the French Open because of her versatility and her footwork on the court and her comfortability, comfortability with the surface. She, she just seems to have the most versatile game that's suited for clay. She can play offense. She can play defense. She has her slice, which is, even though, you know, someone like Federer, it's kind of a weakness. For her, it's almost a strength, especially Very on clay. Especially when she doesn't have to play someone like Nadal, who can just poke on that weakness the entire time. She has good hands at the net. Her serve, even though she's a bit undersized than some girls, she still has a good serve that that just all feeds into why she's so good on clay. Really, why she's good on every surface. Yeah. Her game translates, which is something that I don't know that we haven't seen out of, you know, Naomi Osaka. It's not something we've seen is does it translate? And that's, I think, the most impressive thing. And after we, we kind of were like, okay, where's someone that's going to be consistent? And we we thought maybe Simona Halep would do that. And she has to a point. She actually really has been. But then, you know, Ashley Barty seems to be like, okay, I, I'm going to take the mantle. I'm going to be the number one player in the world. And I think she's really taking the mantle in, in a way that I just don't know that we really saw coming before that. I don't know that she was, she was one of the top juniors and then, of course, went and Retired like really early in her career, played cricket and came back. I mean, how the hell do you play? You realize she really never even played cricket before, too, and still made a pro team. And kind of shows how athletic she is. I know. But it's like, good God. I mean, the, the, the fact that she seems to enjoy tennis, too, because that, you know, that's something that we, we've even seen is like, okay. And we, we've gotten to see not too up close, but up close enough. It's like, Okay, these great players, do they do they stick with it? Are they able to stick with it? Are they able mentally to get into it? Because tennis is a mentally demanding, and it's a physically demanding sport, sure, but mentally it's demanding. Mental. It's, you're, you're on your own, really, for the most part. The best players are always on their own on the singles court. It's, it's difficult on a lot of people, and I think it's difficult on young people, too. That's why you see, you know, the and, and difficult sometimes if you've got parents that are pushy and maybe you've got a bad support system. It's, you know, that's why we saw Jennifer Capriati flip out in the 90s. We saw Martina Hingis. Really, Hingis was all right. The game kind of caught up to her, the power game. But, you know, it's like she won majors 17 and then really didn't do much after that, except in doubles. She did a lot. But 
you know, stuff like that. That's why we see, you know, Coco Goff is on a tournament restriction from the WTA because she's, you know, 17 years old now. When she was 15, it was even worse. And that that's why, you know, sometimes even I worry about, you know, Iga Sviatek. Is she going to be fine? She's only 19 years old. And yeah. you said it. The WTA is getting younger, although not like, you know, not like the, all the teenagers, not like, you know, when it was like women's gymnastics where it was all teenagers. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot more normalized. You look at the top 10 and everyone is under 30 except Serena, who's 39 years old. And she's easily the outlier. You throw her out and throw in the number 11, the average age is just under 25. They're just young. I didn't do the math on the men's, but there's three dudes over 30 in the top 10 and there's like seven in the top 20. So I think you can kind of figure that out from there. Not a whole lot of young dudes, but that's why the women's game seems to have a direction forward in the way the men's game doesn't. It's like we're going to be watching Federer and Nadal and Djokovic till they're 50. I mean, at this rate, at least Nadal and Djokovic. Yeah. Federer is... <laughs> never never count out Federer. I, I, I guess, yeah, we were probably saying that in, what, 2013? He has enough money to get endless knee replacements. I think we were saying that in 2013? <laughs> Whatever year he dipped to like eight. Yeah. Or, you know, when he, you know, actually had one of his first injuries at the end of 16. It's like, oh man, Federer's near in the end. <laughs> Nadal's near in the end. He's getting injured too, man. It's just going to be joking. Nope. Bye. Peace out. Uh, these guys. I think Serena maybe is even better than all of them with regards to what she's done on the women's side, but the best generation has been the big three. And I think we need to really realize what we are watching. But at the same time, hope that somebody can take over and be ready for somebody to take over like the women, like the women seem to have figured out already in many ways. And hopefully they Mm -hmm. actually do. And that is how we'll end the sixth episode of Making a Racket. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Follow us at Making a Racket 3 on Twitter and Instagram for all the updates. Or none, or, or if you just feel or you just want to give us followers, I and that that's cool too. You just want to give us some clout. Shout us out, shouts out to the world, shout us out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, we don't care, Snapchat. Maybe get a Snapchat one day, but we still want money, please. Yeah, if you, if you want to send us money, we don't have anything set up, but like you can definitely DM us and like we'll figure that out. We're not gonna ever decline. Like, like you know, sketchy donations from random people, we'll take them. Yeah, no, it's Still really cash. not a big deal. Money's money, okay? I mean, it's just that that's all I got to so say. As long as you don't need to give information. <laughs> oh, you have Venmo. You have Venmo. <laughs> Flags and pals. Because they dropped so many bombs on there. I know. <laughs> like, yeah, he, let it, he let it loose. I married it too, but not as many. I let like <laughs> one. <laughs> me over here, I can control myself. <laughs> Case in point. I can control. I don't have anger issues. I got spanked and I'm just fine. It's like, um, <laughs> about that. I don't know about that. It's like, oh no, chief. This generation's soft. It's like, no, like you fucking. You don't Make like it. child abuse. <laughs> no, right then. And this, and I swear, every one of those motherfuckers.
said that like they're like they're twitchy in some way. I'm like, no, you're not okay. I don't I think you're fine. <laughs> like, no, you, you turn out shit. You nuts, bro. Make sure you also follow at Flags and Fouls on Twitter and Instagram. Subscribe to Flags and Fouls on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. That's also got you know Jose and Omero. Got the whole clown gang on that. Just released, just finished up that 10th episode. I recommend y'all listen to that on the NFL, the NBA, on everything. The NBA, make sure you watch that play, and I think that's going to be fun. And for tennis, well, if you don't want to watch the small events, yeah, it's fine. Most people don't. Make sure you watch that French Open, though. We're going to figure that out. How we're going to watch the French Open and the NBA playoffs. Some of it kind of correlates. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll be all right. Focus on the important part.